High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 182 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 182. That was Darren Ruff's batting average this spring. I was not worried because spring statistics don't tell us anything. <clears throat> Anyways, we might get to <laughs> we might get to Darren Ruff at some point, but maybe the spring batting average was telling us something. Yeah, well, I think he would probably need about a, a two-hit, three-hit game to get to that right now. He's at 145 uh, as of this recording, but I, I'm not worried about him, and we'll, we'll get it. We'll get into that, but uh, we can talk about who uh, we're worried about, who we're not worried about. But uh, as we are recording this, it is after the Giants lost one to nothing to the A's in a game that I will very, very candidly tell you that I did not watch. It was my day off. <laughs> It sounds like I didn't miss much, but I, I can I still know what happened, and that is it was the last day before they had a day off, uh, a day off that I'm sure they were all looking forward to, and I think the road trip, the rescheduled game, everything just caught up to them. It's that's probably what happened. It's always tricky recording one of these after a loss because that's the most your recency bias comes out, and it's like, well, you know, gosh, what's wrong with the offense, and what what aren't they doing? But one thing that when I was doing a little bit of prep for this. I noticed that when I'm on the, the 2022 Giants page on Baseball Reference, at the bottom of, of the top section, it, it has their Pythagorean win-loss, project, you know, the run scored, runs allowed. So they've scored 91 runs this season. They've allowed 47. That is typically good for, on average, a record of 15-4. and four. The Giants are okay so far. I think, I think everyone can handle, they can weather the storm of a one nothing loss every once in a while. Yeah, and I mean, the pitchers obviously can't do it all. Um, the pitchers did their job and, and held the A's to one run in a you know a bullpen game. Sam Long gave up the one run in the first inning, and uh, that was pretty much it. <laughs> but then, you know, Jacob Junis pitches five shutout innings. Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers, Camilo Duvall, they tried to chase down that win from behind, which they've done so many times. But the A's got their ace closer, Danny Jimenez, to shut the door. <laughs> you look good, man. <laughs> yeah, former Giants Rule 5 pick, uh, uh, Danny Jimenez. Did he have Tommy John, right, when he was with the Giants? I think so. I, th- I think, yeah, he had Tommy John, and so they were able to keep him on the 40-man the roster because of the 60-day IL, but when it got to the offseason, they just didn't have the room. Yeah, so they basically, they paid him major league money for a full year to rehab from Tommy John surgery and hoping that, uh, you know, they could hang on to him. And obviously they didn't in the end, but they saw something and they and the guy that they thought could be a big league contributor is, voila, a big league contributor, just in a different uniform. I guess, I don't know if, if we want to talk about uh, the offense and some of the ways that the offense is concerning. We have a few people we could start with. Who would you like to start with? Let's bring it back to the intro with Darren Ruff. You you mentioned briefly that you are not worried, and I am not worried either. I'll let you go first since you brought it up. Why aren't you worried about Darren Ruff? He's 35 years old. You know, I think one thing that I've really learned from covering this current regime is just to to just not 
pay so much attention to the results and look more at approach. And, you know, his average exit velocity is, is, is better than average. His hard hit percentage is better than average. His chase rate is in the 69th percentile. So it's quite a bit better than average. And his walk rate is in the 82nd percentile. So he's drawn a lot of walks. He's keeping a pretty good approach, even though the results haven't been there. The batted ball data is, is okay. And he's made a lot of hard outs. And he's not responding to it by starting to chase more. And so I think he's going to be okay. But I don't necessarily think the same about a few other players, especially one that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Just to touch on Ruff, I think as you get deeper in the season, in the beginning, he had a lot of hard luck. He had a lot of balls that were absolutely crushed. And now we've got research from from Mino Saris that says the baseball is different. It's not traveling as far. If this were last year, perhaps he would have three home runs and he'd have a slugging percentage that made up for all the outs he's making. But his strikeout rate is the same. His eyes the same. I don't know. I'm not worried. But tell me now who, because that was ominous. You left it at, that was kind of ominous what you're saying. And, and I'm wondering who I'm looking now. Okay. Okay. Who am I thinking? You're going to talk about Joey Bart? Maybe Joey Bart. I will say the one thing that I did notice in the lineup in the one nothing loss to the A's, they did move Darren Ruff down from third to fifth. So there is some reaction uh, from the coaching staff to maybe put him in a little bit of a less pressurized environment by moving him from third to fifth. And Wilmer Flores is obviously swinging a hot bat, so they moved him up in the lineup. So there was some response of, of the coaching staff to, you know, who's hot and who's not. But I don't think they're super worried about Darren Ruff. Joey Bart, though, I think we're starting to see that he's starting to chase more. He's starting to get himself out more. And we know that he's batting 158. He's got a couple of homers that he got early on, but he's got 23 strikeouts in 38 at-bats, and that's just a lot. He's also drawn seven walks, so, you know, the seven walks is promising. He's trying to work deep counts, but uh, especially in his last couple games, he's really chasing out of the zone, and you can see a player who's very visibly frustrated, and that's where you're like, okay, all right, we got to call timeout here. Because once he starts getting frustrated, then you start making bad swing decisions and you compound the problem. And uh, so that's why I think that if I'm a coach on the Giants staff, I'm a lot more concerned about getting Joey Bart squared away than Darren Ruff. Listen, my job is uh, to be a uh, hot take columnist. I am uh, someone who has uh, is supposed to have opinions, who is supposed to come up with theories and stuff like that. The problem with this is that I lacked object permanence. And so, like, I don't have strong convictions when it comes to someone like Joey Bart because I'll write something in the offseason when there's no data other than what we already have. And I'll say, you know, Joey Bart, I, I'm a little worried about you know, his, his swing and miss rate. I'm not so sure about if he's going to be the kind of guy who can give the Giants 400, 500 at-bats. And then when he shows up and has a good week, I'm just like, oh, man, I was such a fool. Like, this is, well, of course they're going to figure this out. He's going to be good. Maybe he's rookie of the year. I don't know. And then I whiplash back to my old position, and I just don't know what to believe about Bart anymore. But I think that the proof is in the putting of the strikeouts, to mix metaphors. It's just 23 strikeouts and 46 plate appearances. That's a stat that stabilizes quickly. That is not necessarily a small sample. That is... Just above and beyond, even for today's high strikeout rate, I mean, everyone strikes out a lot. Everyone's striking out 25% of the time, if not more. And that is, you know, 50%. And that is just not sustainable. And it's not just sample size. That is a stat that stabilizes quickly. It's almost like Joey Bart heard all of these Mike Zunino comps and was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll do you one better. (laughs) 
Just you wait. And Mike Zanino struck out 132 times in 333 at-bats last year, and he also hit 33 homers and had a 301 on on-base percentage and was an all-star and got some MVP votes as well. So his on-base percentage was 301. Joey Bart's current on-base percentage is 301. So, I mean, the fact that he's got a low batting average doesn't really matter so much. It's just his value is what he does behind the plate. It's being able to run into one here and there, and it's being able to draw enough walks to not be a total drag on the lineup. I mean, he's sitting sitting ninth for a reason. You just wonder if they reach a point where they have to call timeout, and maybe Kurt Casale starts a couple games in a row. And I think that uh, it's possible we may be getting to that point, although, you know, Kurt Casale's no great shakes either. He's batting 154 with 12 strikeouts in 26 at-bats. So it's a spot in the lineup that I think the Giants kind of looked at, and they're like, wow, you know, we've got Joey Bart, we've got Pat Bailey coming up, we've got uh, uh, Ricardo Henevis, we've got a lot of catching in the system. Maybe we're going to find a, an inefficiency in the game, and it's a, it's a spot that's a drag on the lineup for almost everybody, but maybe for us it can be a way we can get a leg up. It's positional scarcity at all. Well, they're not really getting much offense from the position right now. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, none of you clicked. None of you clicked on my The Giants Should Trade for Sean Murphy article in the offseason. Well, who's clicking now, pal? Well, still nobody. But still, I was like, I was worried that about this position on two fronts, for the offense and for the defense. And I think that that is the saving grace is that, boy, I sure don't notice Joey Bart a lot back there. And I mean that in the best possible way. He's got a fluidity to his catching game that I don't think was there in 2020. He's smooth. He's catching a lot of successful pitching. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Giants are thriving and he's behind the plate. I think he's been a very strong defensive catcher. And now that he's at least, you know, not an automatic out necessarily, he's getting on base 30% of the time, that paired with the defense, you can extend this, it's not an experiment, but you can extend this trial uh, quite a bit longer. And he's not a base clogger if he draws a walk. I mean, this is a guy who can go first to third, and he can score from from first on a double. He, he's actually, you know... A, pretty darn good base runner. I, I would say runs well for a catcher doesn't really do him justice. He, when he gets moving, he gets moving pretty good. So Joey Bart as a base runner is probably a little more valuable than your standard catcher as a base runner. And you have him on your fantasy team, is that right? I do, I do. But that's only because Stevenson is on the injured list, so Joey's my backup. So I'm Okay, so, so I have him on my fantasy team too. So okay. I think okay. what I'm hearing from you is that he should steal more bases. Yes, yes, he should. He should steal more bases and more extra base hits. That would be good. Yeah. Um, okay, so Bart, you know, we we have, uh, uh, there is a team that is uh, doing good stuff. And one thing that, you know, it's frustrating when they lose one to nothing or something like that. But overall, to basically get two runs to your opponent's one, is the offense a concern? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? And, and just the reason the Giants have such a, a you know, a fantastic record, a fantastic uh, uh, run scored, runs allowed differential. Is that just all pitching? I mean, is there is this going to be kind of a 2009, 2011 sort of year? Or are you anticipating some of this offense to, to shake loose? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious what you think about that, just because it's in a, a goofy context. I mean, the season is off to such a weird start. I don't know what to make of, you know, just offense in general. You know, the, the Giants have a team batting average of 231, and you think, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's eighth. 
among the 15 NL teams. That's middle of the pack. You know, I think we mentioned on the last podcast that Tyro Estrada was like fourth in the majors in runs scored. He might have gone down the list a couple spots since then. But he's got a 284 on base percentage, and he's he's scoring almost as many runs as anybody in, in, in the league. So it's still kind of hard for me to look at this offense and, and remind myself that, you know, it's within the greater context of, of a really squirrely start to the season. I guess I'm not really surprised that the hitting is, is struggling so much because pitchers can do so much in the offseason. They can get feedback without having a batter stand in there with all of the tracking software and, and everything that can judge spin and, and pitch shape and pitch design. So when they had the lockout, these pitchers were getting ready. I mean, they were getting capital R ready. And the hitters really didn't have that option you know, to face live pitching like they would need to. And then they got a shortened spring. So everyone's worried about the pitchers and their health to start the year. And I think that from a health standpoint, that is super important and warranted. I was kind of thinking that the hitters might have a harder time. And, and plus, the weather hasn't warmed up yet in a lot of places. And now you got pitchers saying that they don't necessarily feel the ball so well because where it's cold, you're not generating a lot of sweat. And so, you know, there's really nothing that you can use in combination with the rosin to get a good grip. Chris Bassett was just complaining about that the other day. Logan Webb was complaining about that in New York. So, yeah, I think I just gone off. I went off on a tangent there. But I'm not surprised that pitchers are, are doing better and hitters are struggling. I forget every year how much I hate covering April baseball. Every year, because you get excited about, oh, the season's starting, and then you're thinking about rosters and opening days there, and there's bunting all around the perimeter, and, and it, you're looking at the two opening day starters going after each other, and, and then once the, the dust settles, you realize you don't know anything, and, and you're still trying to chase, like, okay, what does this mean? What can what can I extrapolate from this? And, and usually the answer is, like, nothing. And... <laughs> The Giants right now are so confusing to me because they are third in the National League in runs scored per game. And I'm sitting here thinking like, gosh, they aren't really hitting, you know, they're not, they're not putting runs together. They're third in the National League in runs per game. Of course, the Dodgers are ahead of them. The number one team in the National League with runs per game. I, I hate, I hate doing this, but I got to ask uh, your guess. Oh boy. It's not the Phillies. I know they're off to a terrible start. I think, is it the Mets? It's the Cubs. Is it really? Oh, it's the Cubs with Seiya Suzuki. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but I think the Giants should have should have gotten him this offseason. Yeah, well, they tried. You know, <laughs> I wrote a whole big story about how they tried. You know, I think that they they really knew that he was going to be an impact player. I I don't know if if they would have gone to where the Cubs went in terms of. I mean, he, he's a hundred million player for them uh, between the $85 million contract they gave him and what the posting fee to Hiroshima uh, was going to be. And so, you know, were the Giants that confident that he could be an impact player right away? I, I don't think anybody was. I don't think the Cubs were. I think everyone was expecting uh, some struggle at the start. Even when I talked to the international uh, vice president of uh, NPB, Nippon Professional Baseball in Japan, even he said, I hope people temper their expectations for this guy because he's a great talent, but it's going to be an adjustment and he's probably going to struggle. And I hope people don't expect him to be a superstar right away. Well, guess what? He just decided to be a superstar right away. And yeah, it's. Uh, I think that there's a lot of wistfulness uh, among Giants fans who allowed themselves to fall in love a little bit. But I think he wanted to go to Chicago. He talked to you, Darvish, a lot. Uh, they have the same agent. Darvish told him a lot of good things about Chicago as well. And he was going to go to San Francisco next. That was the next stop. But, um, you know, they had such a good visit with Chicago, and then they, they went to the city, enjoyed what they saw of the city. And, you know, as I wrote about, there was some concern about news reports in Japan about some of the things that have happened in San Francisco, London breathes state of emergency, 
uh, a lot of the the ways that uh, San Francisco's got you know some urban problems, and and those things were magnified uh, in the Japanese media and. And I think that uh, if you've ever been to a Japanese city, there are problems in Japan too. It's not like it's a, a utopia, but the cities themselves, the urban environments, are impeccably clean and uh, and 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 very safe. And a lot of the things that you would see walking through the Tenderloin would absolutely shock somebody who lives in Tokyo. So I think that did have an impact, frankly. And and whether that's perception or reality, you could debate. We could talk about Chicago and the problems that Chicago has. The fact is that their problems, because it's such a segregated city, are in just you know pockets that say Suzuki's never going to walk through. And you could argue that that's a lot worse. That's a lot less healthy because it, it allows people to ignore those problems and not deal with them because they're not pervasive. So yeah, there's a lot of, of ways you can you can bend that discussion. But I think it boils down to he felt comfortable in Chicago. Uh, he was told that Chicago would be a great place for him. It's a better place to hit probably, better division to hit in. And, you know, they're not going to be a contending team in year one or not supposed to be. So even that makes it easier for him to break in. And you know that they're going to be good after a while. So tough thing to revisit because I think it would have been kind of cool to see him as a giant. But they knew going in that there were going to be 15 teams that wanted him and 14 teams were going to be disappointed. If we were to rebrand as fantasy baseball and Seo Suzuki talk with Bags and Brisby, I would be happy. You would be happy. The listeners, I don't think, but I just, I'm so fascinated with Suzuki as a player. Uh, I'm also fascinated with my fantasy team, but I don't know. It's just sometimes you see a fit in, like you said, it, it is 14 teams wanted, or 15 teams wanted him, 14 were going to be disappointed. It just felt like after the Bryce Harper and the Giancarlo Stanton uh, that maybe this was the Giants' chance, but nah, water under the bridge. One thing when I was watching uh, last. Last night's uh, one nothing loss was the idea that the Giants don't get blown out. And I've, I'm fascinated by this idea of, yes, they'll have stinkers. Yes, they'll have dull games. Yes, they, they will have things that didn't go their way. But the last time they lost by more than five runs uh, was, I, gosh, it was last September, I think. It was last September to the Padres, maybe. I, I can't even remember the last time they lost by more than five runs. That's remarkable. Wow. Yeah, that is. And you know what? Honestly, I, there's a part of Gabe Kapler that is looking forward to getting blown out. And and not, I, I don't mean like, oh boy, I hope we get just boat race today. But I think they're looking forward to when they do get blown out, to have a team steal some bags on them, to have a team, you know, still play hard to the end and maybe try to, you know, put it in their faces a little bit. Because I think he wants to prove the point uh, that he's making, which is they're not going to be offended. They're not going to be offended if an opponent plays that way against them, and they're not going to be emotional about it. And so I think they're kind of waiting for that to happen. But you're right, it hasn't happened yet. I'm looking at the uh, scores this year, and there was the 6-2 to two loss to the Mets the day after the doubleheader. So that's as close as you come. That's a four-run loss, and that is their biggest loss of the season. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, those are one swing games, right? Where you can conceivably get one swing and all of a sudden you have a tie game. But first off, to your first point about Kapler perhaps hoping for a chance for other teams to do what the Giants have done to them, I think it would be really just extremely funny if they threw at the next batter. Like just, it would be... Like a, a very funny to me, as far as content, I don't think it will happen. I, I agree with you. I think it's just they want to pr- prove the point. Like, yeah, let's 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 all just grow up and get past all that. The idea that every game is within one swing, even the worst Giants game since the last time that they were that they lost by more than four runs was April or August 29th, twenty twenty one, 
The Braves beat them nine to nothing. Austin Slater gotten out on the mound and they just don't have those games. And you can talk about the record and the Pythagorean and all that stuff, but it just goes down to the Giants haven't had a lot of games like that. They didn't have a ton in 2019, to be honest. Uh, 2020, they had quite a few at the beginning of the year, but they finished strong. This is an entertaining baseball team. As far as these things go for the last couple of years, you sit down to watch a Giants game and there have been seasons where you sit down to watch a Giants game and by the third inning, you're like, why did I choose this hobby? Or, you know, you or I might say, why did I choose this profession? This is dull. This is just bad baseball. The Giants aren't doing that, man. Yeah, so I, I think I'm on the same baseball reference page as you are right now and I found that 9 nothing game at Atlanta on August 29th. Uh, they had one game in September where they lost by five uh, to the Dodgers, but even that one, the Dodgers scored two in the ninth. So it was a it was a four to one game until then. So yeah, really, that's the last time that they pretty much had a game where they could white flag it at the end. And Austin Slater was, was on the mound. And uh, yes, he even got a batter out. How about that? And he has, <laughs> and he didn't give up a run. He has a perfect ERA. That's a baseball record. It is. It, he ties a baseball record, and I, I he gets some war for that. He gets a little chunk of war, I think. Um, <laughs> maybe not quite a Shohei Otani chunk. You're right. That's a great point, and I think it 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 kind of underscores that. That's why they have to play the way that they play and try to be relentless um, and try to extend leads. Because if you're going to be in every ball game, you're going to need your frontline relievers to be ready every day. And you can't overwork those guys. They're going to have to take days off. So that's why you need depth. You need to be able to you know, uh, spread out the workload. And you don't have those sort of games where you're down 9 nothing, and you can use your back-end guys and whatever. They don't really have any back-end guys. Even their back-end guys are front-end guys. So it makes it even more important that they kind of load manage well because they're going to need pinch hitters off the bench if, if they're one swing away uh, and it's not a 9 nothing game. You're trying all the way to the end. And so, yeah, you got to have a team that's rested and and prepared to be able to to be called upon. They don't really coast. This is not a team built for coasting. Last night when the, the game was getting a little slow, I, I started going down this rabbit hole of losing by uh, five runs or more, like how often it happens. The 2021 Giants lost nine games by five runs or more. And I was thinking, okay, is this a theme of this team? Is this you know something that I can write about where they just don't get blown out? And I found, and maybe this can segue into some A's talk, but the 1972 A's lost four games by more than five runs. And that is it. They had like, I was just going through every game that they played. They either boat raced the other team. They won a close game or they lost a close game the entire year. And the attendance that year for the 1972 Oakland A's, 921,000, which was fifth in the league. We're talking 70s baseball, which was very different. But that was one of the 70s A's were just one of the best teams, the most entertaining teams. And I guess that's a ham-fisted segue into just talking about the A's weirdness uh, with Dave Cavall and just... I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the idea of what I wrote just a little bit in that I think that baseball is so much better around here when the A's are up and the Giants are up. Those are some of the best seasons is when you had, you know, the Moneyball movie was, what, uh, 2002 and the Giants were up at the same time. I love those teams being good at the same time. It's so much more fun around here. Yeah, I, I don't know if it ever got any better with both teams being good at the same time than, uh, like you referenced, the Will Clark, Mark McGuire you know, a uh, combo cover of what was that sports illustrated? I mean, that to me is like the pinnacle of, of 
Bay Area baseball where both teams are super compelling. And I'm sure that there are a lot of other times that I'm skipping on. I didn't grow up in the Bay Area, so I don't have that frame of reference that really goes back that far. But yeah, you know, it's it, you mentioned the A's in, in 1972. The, the DH came to the American League in 1973. So, you know, you had a little less scoring. So probably everybody was playing closer games back then. But I read your piece. I enjoyed it. I thought that you made some really good points, which is just, hey, as, as fans of baseball, this is not sort of a... Uh, a Dodgers Giants rivalry. This is this is more of a, you know, poke you in the ribs rivalry than a, you know, try to hit you in the head rivalry. So, I agree. I think that uh, the Bay Area is better and richer with two baseball teams. I think that um, it, it's it's too bad there's been such a scorched earth campaign just to completely, you know, spoil the 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 landscape for fans uh, in the East Bay, and I don't know if that's fixable. Honestly, I really don't. You would know better than I would, but I just don't get it. I mean, Dave Cavall, and I don't want to pay him any more attention than he deserves, which is none, but is he a caricature? Nobody can be this immature, right? So he's, I feel like he's got to be playing a caricature or something. He's doing like a Vince McMahon thing. And then, and if he is, what's the point? I mean, to what end? I, I just don't get it. I don't get it either. And now that I'm thinking about it, when I'm thinking about the Giants and A's and the poking the ribs part of the rivalry, you have uh, a finger on the pulse of Chicago baseball. Is it the same when you're talking Cubs, White Sox, or is that more ideological? Is there just a, like, is there a a built-in sort of animosity there that might not be, you know, are you going to see split caps, White Sox and Cubs in Chicago? I think it's a little more us and them in in Chicago. I I do. I do get the sense that it's a little more us versus them. I don't know if I get that sense about A's fans and Giants fans. I mean, I certainly, whenever I mention something about the A's that's not flattering or make fun of their, you know, I don't know, the the plumbing in in the Coliseum, you know, I'll I'll get some some blowback on Twitter from some salty A's fans, uh, but, you know, all in good fun. I don't know. I, I don't get the sense that it's really an us versus them. But again, I think that, you know, you have a lot more history on this than I do. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm living in the East Bay and I I think Castro Valley is so, you know how like Fresno is perfectly placed between Dodger country and Giant country or you go down to the coast and you've got San Luis Obispo or, or Cambria or something and that's going to be evenly split. I feel like Castro Valley is evenly split. It's kind of like right you know on the other side of the San Mateo Bridge, but it's also just down the street from the Coliseum. So I interact with a lot of A's fans throughout uh, my travels and, and just getting out there and coaching softball and going and, and neighbors and stuff like that. And it's more just like, it's fun. It's just, hey, what's your team doing? Well, this is what my team's doing. Oh, I can't believe you chose that team. Ha, ha, ha. And then you always have like that base of the Warriors or the Sharks or, you know, whatever your other team underneath might be. Whereas when you talk to a Dodgers fan, it's it's more just like, oh, man, boy, this guy is, he's the enemy or, you know, she's the enemy. And then underneath that, oh, the Lakers? Good gravy. What is this person? They've made some different choices in life. And so it's just, I don't know. It's just when you're in the Bay Area, you're already in a little bit of a club and then you're not going to get out of that club just because you like the A's or the Giants. It's, it's, you're already connected a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think the A's are, are honestly, I think that there there's a lot of compelling reasons to watch the A's. They still have a lot of fun players. I love Tony Kemp. Tony um, Kemp. I was going to say, yes, Tony yeah. Kemp. He's so much fun. He's a throwback. He 
He is. And um, the fact that they each picked off one from each other and they're going to see each other again. I look forward to that. I, I like Bay Bridge games. I always have. <clears throat> Even walking into the A's uh, office uh, of, of Mark Kotze and seeing that he's got a gray beard now, I'm like, wait a second. Didn't I watch you have your last <laughs> at bat against Barry Zito in a Bay Bridge game like yesterday? So, you know, and I asked him about Carlos Rodon's fastball and he's like, well, I'm not digging in that box anymore. So go ask those guys out there. And I'm like, can you, can you dig in the box again? Can I have my youth back, please? But hey, we're coming to the end of our podcast, but so we should probably sneak in. We don't know what's up with Jock Peterson yet. He left with groin tightness. He's going for an MRI. He could land on the injured list, which would obviously be a big blow to the offense, as we have discussed, is already kind of concerning, but also not concerning. The other thing that I think we should touch on very briefly is how the Giants are breaking waivers. They're breaking a big section of the game. They basically have a 40-man spot for, I don't know, a day, two days, however long Zach Littell is on the COVID list after a positive test. And they're using that 40-man spot to claim people. And um, uh, they claimed Darian Nunez off of uh, waivers from the Dodgers. And literally, he was having Tommy John surgery, and he woke up and was told, the Giants have claimed you. So, I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy what's happening. They're, they're making all kinds of moves. They're, they're doing cash deals because they don't have a waiver priority in a lot of cases. They're still being as active as ever, and it's, it's gnarly to watch. Andy McCullough is the one who wrote about Farhan uh, playing fantasy football and how he was just a maddening opponent because he's always trying to tweak the rules and always trying to, he's just a transaction hound when it comes to, to fantasy football. And you see it here because the Giants have a, a roster spot for like a few seconds and they're like, well, is there something we can do here? Is there something, yeah, okay, we can put this guy, you know, we can pay for this guy's rehab and uh, build up some goodwill. And he's a left-hander who throws, you know, 94. 495 miles per hour, which they're not as ultra rare as they used to be, but that's still in the you know top half, the topper percentile of left-hander fastballs in baseball. So yeah, let's just take a flyer, see what comes out. He's got a weird delivery fastball changeup combination. Uh, see you in 2030 or 2023. Uh, that is a good use of money because there aren't a ton of ways to spend money anymore in the middle of a season. Yeah, you're right. And so that's one way to do it. And um, they've certainly spent a lot on, um, you know, look at Luis Gonzalez. He helped them win a game in Milwaukee. And the reason they have him is that the White Sox, he had shoulder surgery last year and the White Sox needed a 40-man um, a roster space when they activated Lewis Robert. And they decided that they, instead of DFAing somebody else, they would just release Luis Gonzalez rather than put him on the 60-day and pay him eight weeks of Major League money. And the Giants immediately were like, we will pay you Major League money to rehab with us. And, uh, and maybe that'll pay off down the road. And maybe it won't. In the case of Danny Jimenez, it did not pay off for them, but it did pay off for Danny Jimenez, which is good. And, you know, that's that's the investment that they're willing to make. It's almost like uh, you're tucking money away in in, uh, in in areas of your 401k that uh, that might pay off big. Yeah, listen, when you're Jerry Reinsdorf and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're worried about them turning the heat off, you, you can't pay Luis Gonzalez for... Hard times, man. Hard times. Hard times. All right. This has been episode number 182 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. We will be back. What, is it next Monday? Yeah, I, I think, think so. I, I think we're good there. Okay, so we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. <laughs>